Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. <sighs> Adam. Yeah. I, you know, I know that we've d- decided a long time ago not to do cold opens anymore, but we don't even I, call the cold opens that we don't do cold opens anymore. We call them grabbers and we don't do them. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm concerned if we don't have a grabber, listeners will drift away before we really get going. And, you know, remember Bonnie kept saying Better Call Saul has, uh, uh, you know, they do a call. I, I've been watching Better Call Saul on DVD, and yeah, Bonnie's yeah, yeah. right. They. They do a cold open. Sometimes I think they don't even mean to. I think someone just forgets to run the credits because half the show can be over before they play the opening credits. It's long. (laughs) Yeah, I've been trying to reach Bob Odekirk because I have some ideas for them about their opening. Like, they should have someone actually calling Saul, but with, like, a grabber. Right. Here. (laughs) I'll I'll show you. Show Um, me. Okay. Do you see how I've set up this track? Um, it's it's the width of a of a Hot Wheels track, but sturdier. Yeah. Right. It does look very sturdy. I've put water on it and, and frozen it, and as you can see, I have on a pair of ice skates. And oh, but but but, 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 but gonna... Paul, I I want to say that it does look sturdy, but I didn't mean like support a human body sturdy. Oh no, it is. It, it is. Uh, it is. Okay. Uh, Okay. I, no, I te- I tested it out. It's fine. Um, so okay. I'm going to go around the track using the centrifugal force of my weight. And on the second okay. pass, I'm going to slow down and dial Saul on this payphone. While, and at that point, I'll be upside what down. What does one mean when one says dial Saul? Who are you actually going to be calling? Saul. Okay. <laughs> From Better Call Saul. Okay. Um, well, I guess his first name is Better Call. Um, okay. No. Uh, no. So, so first I'm going to skate on this thin ice I've made in my room. And, and, and then up onto the, uh, okay, up onto wow. the loop to loop. Whoa, wow. I can't believe it's working. Woo-hoo! Now I, I slow down a little and I, and I grab the phone. Uh, um, uh, 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 you cats you've been fed anyway <laughs> anyway the the ah oh, damn it i pulled the phone right out of the ah oh. okay anyway oh my idea is something like that okay um yeah i mean well on the bright side you did it on the negative side paula you look hurt uh, yeah you know when i landed i think yeah my uh skate Blade uh-huh. might have gone into my thigh. I I think yeah. I cut my leg off. God damn it. Not the whole leg again. <sighs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. 
Um, I, I gotta yeah. say, you lose that leg <laughs> a lot. I can tell I lost it because I see it on the other side of the room. I'm gonna sue this shit out of the Hot Wheels company. <laughs> Are you gonna say the rain in Spain, Paula? That's our safe word to, to, to leave the grabber if we ever accidentally do one. Do you have a background in CIA? Because you <laughs> yeah. are so smooth. If I didn't know that you were hiding in that shrub, I never would have known that you were hiding in that shrub. <laughs> That's how good you are. <laughs> Wendell, if you could just don't get the blood all over the place, but just drag it over here and... <sighs> Wait, there's a tattoo on the side of the leg. That's weird. Paula, that's not your leg. <laughs> Let me read what it says. Okay. The rain in Spain. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your Saul? comedy field guide to Saul? life. Don't, we're not Saul. calling Saul now. Adam's Saul, doing it's thing. me, Paula Poundstone. Paula. I have something to say to you. The rain in Spain. Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Townstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight, now that the elections are behind us, we want to introduce you to our friend Jerry. Jerry Mander. He's a complicated guy. Uh, unexpectedly skinny in some places, fat in others, and he's always changing. We're going to need someone to help us understand, Jerry. And that man is returning champion Ben Sheehan. Plus, mm. be careful what you wish for. The other day, we suggested that maybe Tony and Bonnie would let us know what our show's prospects were in Portugal. And folks, that is exactly what's going to happen. Brace yourselves for another whirlwind tour as Bonnie and Tony's oral report goes to Portugal. I'm Adam Felber. This show's friendly alderman trying to keep the lines of conversation neat, clean, and regular for a smooth, coherent podcast experience. And now, please welcome the woman who can chart a winding, zigzagging, six-mile-long corkscrew of a path between her couch and her refrigerator. It's Paula Poundstone. Hey, you guys. Pay no attention. To this gash mark on my face. Oh, uh, how'd that happen? Um, just a, an incident. An incident earlier. Okay. <laughs> when we weren't talking, remember, because we haven't seen each other or talked right. yet. Hey, Adam, and welcome back to five-time returning champion, house band Kristen Lejeune on the violin. Kristen is a teacher and a freelance violinist in Chicago and southern Wisconsin, which is very near Chicago. For more information, especially about virtual lessons, check out our website, kristenviolin.com. How are you doing, Paula Poundstone? Uh, I'm, you know, Adam, I, I walk my dogs a lot, and uh, I find that when I'm walking, I just get ideas, you, you know, and uh, I, I'm going to work in Florida soon to tell my little jokes, and uh, I have a great idea. You know how there's a lot of amusement parks in Florida, right? Like a big... I am familiar with it. And there's a lot of older people there as well. And so, you know, they have so much knowledge. They have so much, you know, the wisdom of the ages 
reside somewhere in the collective brains of seniors. And so I, I have this idea to use the brains of the senior citizens and create uh, sort of a answers to the mysteries of the world theme park. You know, for example, you go into one attraction that just had all the socks. <laughs> like because of the socks that you lost. Yeah. And then there would be one room that you go into and it has the answers to why you walked into that room. Oh. Because that's one of the biggest mysteries in life to me is why did I walk in here? They've been alive for a long time, so they're going to know the answers to these things. <laughs> i got to walk the dogs more. Wouldn't you pay, like, good amusement park money Sure. to find out why you walked into a room? Absolutely. I might go to a senior and say, to, to tell me, like, how does one live a truly happy existence? Because I feel like they might be able to help me with that. Well, I think most uh, elderly people would say, not the way I did it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably 100% accurate. It's just some ideas I've been having. I'm a little bit Ralph Cramden in that I'm always coming up with the get rich quick. I always got a new business idea. Yeah, and you have a similar head. success rate, I would say. Yeah. You know, I tell you something, uh, you know, my seniors answering the mysteries of the world amusement park may take more investment than my worm farm. A, a lot more. But it's <laughs> likely to have the same level of profit. What, just one little note from idea to execution to actually opening day. Theme parks tend to take about 10 to 20 years. I'm going to hire the seniors, I think, at the end. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Just an, just an idea that I've had. It's a good idea. Let's get some more ideas out there. I want to throw one thing at you, Paul, because it just happened to you, and you always have all these amusing pet stories. I just got my dog Luna groomed yesterday, brought her home at like 4 p.m. At about 5.30 p.m., there's a noise in my kitchen. She has spilled, I guess she knocked it off a counter or from the garbage, some melted frozen yogurt with fruit bits all over her face, not two hours after being groomed. It's the funniest looking picture in the world. It was such an egregious accident she had that she didn't want to leave the room. She was looking at me like, yup, I done a bad thing and now you gotta help me. <laughs> Get the yogurt off me. Get the yogurt off me. <laughs> it was exactly um, like that. <laughs> now, whose yogurt was it? I don't Why was tell it there? Her. I am not gonna tattle on my wife Jeannie for insufficiently disposing of her yogurt. <laughs> I'm a little concerned that your wife, Jeannie, isn't eating her fruit bits and yogurt. It was a busy day. Um, yeah. But yeah, she should have finished her frozen yogurt for sure. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just, I am concerned because I know there's been some unhappiness. Uh, I remember the day that she was outside the door <laughs> crying. Yeah, except that that never happened. Yeah, it did. No, it was, you said it was we have to on I our show and it was my daughter crying because she'd hurt herself. Uh, it was, no, it was, I saw, I saw over the Zoom thing. It was your wife. And she had, she had uh, yogurt all over her head. Apparently Wait, it's no. a Felbert tradition. That's just <laughs> how you guys, that's it how isn't. you guys take in your yogurt. That's a problem right there. <laughs> wow. All right. It's well, It's a Felbert tradition. Well, now that you've impugned my personal life again, I guess we're ready to move to the next subject, which is Tony Anita Hall yeah. in, Sh in Sherman Oaks slash Studio City. I really don't know where the line is. How are you? 
Good. I did a photo shoot this weekend for my holiday card. I'm very excited. Ooh. Oh, boy. What, were you like sexy Mrs. No, Santa God, or something? No. no. <laughs> Tony's a sexy me. Santa. No, I'm Tony's not. a sexy well, Santa. Like, were you like sexy Rudolph no, or something? No, wasn't what? anything sexy. <laughs> were we like a sexy elf or no, something? I'm what were you? Stop saying sexy. <laughs> <laughs> now that it upsets you so much, she's never going to stop saying sexy. Yeah, I was a, I wasn't a sexy anything. What were you? Huh. I wasn't, and it was me. Sexy you? No. You're getting so red. How were you posed? I feel like whatever I'm gonna say, it's gonna you're gonna say something about it being sexy. Because I don't really think of it as like a seductive holiday. (laughs) No, it's not. Yeah. So when I get your card, should I open the envelope after my kids are done with (laughs) it? No, I had it was I did a little smash cake. A my, what? My smash cake for my. I celebrated a big birthday this year, and so I smashed a cake like a one-year-old. <laughs> so you celebrated a big girl uh, <laughs> birthday <laughs> by acting like a one-year-old. So you popped out of the cake? No. Was this, was it Wait, no, no, sexy? no, no. I have, I have, I have the right question here. Were you wearing anything besides the cake? Yes, clothing. Yes, butter frosting. Is that what you just said? Butter frosting. No. I was so wearing a, a dress that completely covered me. Wow, no, that's that enough. sounds like fun. That's quite enough. I am looking forward to getting one spicy Christmas card. There, no, um, nothing's gonna be spicy. Stop speaking. saying it. My brother listens to the show. <laughs> Well, you might want to cross him off your card list this year. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of spicy, let's go up to the Simi Valley where Paula's manager, our beloved producer, Bonnie Burns, is canoodling seemingly with Albert Einstein. Bonnie, how are you? You know, here's another reason why we should book a long haul trucker on the show. (laughs) Long haul trucking has become very popular in our culture today there's seven reality shows about long-haul trucking so one of them's called big rig bounty hunters where the guys just (laughs) look for missing tractors and trucks okay wow that one's not about long-haul truckers that's about a bounty hunter trying to find lost trucks no it's all about long-haul truckers doesn't sound like it it's a really popular long-haul trucker (laughs) show (laughs) <laughs> it okay, sounds like on. they're looking for missing tractors. They're long-haul truckers. But what if the tractor, Bonnie, isn't just off the highway? They go around in the trucks and look for those things that are lost. Oh, they're trucks looking for other trucks? You know what? I don't know what the show is. I haven't seen that show. But <laughs> Clearly. But yeah. What I know is it's Long haul trucking is prominent enough in our culture that they've got one show that's just about bounty hunters that go look for stolen and lost long haul tractors and trucks. Uh, and, and it's long haul trucks looking for long haul trucks, which is kind of like, you know, that show Dexter, except completely boring. Dexter was a show about a psychotic murderer who 
Haunted Psychotic Murderers. That's Oh, there's also that show, Surgeons Who Cut Other Surgeons. Okay, so they have another what? show called Ice Road Truckers. I, I've, re- I've seen that show. I think it's really good. And it's truck drivers that transport their loads across the frozen lakes and rivers. Primarily, they operate in the Arctic areas of Canada and Alaska. Wow. I wonder if they have little beds behind their chairs. <laughs> we won't know unless we ask. Yeah. This is very exciting. Here's what we're going to do. Now that Bonnie has shared some exciting facts about reality shows involving long-haul truckers, we're going to go live, remote, to Paula Poundstone with the question, Paula, are we going to book a long-haul trucker on this show? No, we're not, Adam. Thank you for asking. That has been Paula Poundstone with an update on the long-haul trucker booking dilemma. You know, there's a guy named Rob Mariani. His whole show is that he just gives tips that long-haul truckers should know. That's the whole show. Well, it's you know what's good news here and what you've uncovered through exhaustive research is that the (laughs) long-haul trucking thing has been covered. If anybody wants to know about long-haul trucking, they know not to not to listen to Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, but rather any one of these seven fascinating reality shows that Bonnie tells us about. All right. Hey, uh, Bonnie, you, Bonnie, we just go? walked Bonnie Burns. Uh, well, I don't know. She, she, she no. just got up and left her square. <laughs> like a, I've got like a rogue <laughs> Peter Brady. The dog. Um, I have a dog that's older and he keeps trying to jump up on the bed and he keeps falling back down. And then he just took a real big fall. So I had to. Oh my God! Sounds like Adam's wife. Sad. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What? (laughs) You know how she cried outside the door. She Um, never did. I need to address the listeners. Listeners, if you go over to our Facebook page, you will find a beautiful artist's rendering of Adam's head, Tony, sexy Tony Anita Hull's head, (laughs) (laughs) and Captain Crinkle's head. I'm going to oh. ask each of them the meaning of a former nobody listens to Paula Poundstone vocabulary word. And for each correct answer each week, they will receive an additional body part until they have earned for themselves an invaluable portrait. I'm going to start by asking Tony Anita Hall the meaning of a former nobody listens to Paula Poundstone vocabulary word. And to make it fair, I'm asking Bonnie Burns and Adam Felber to take your headphones off until I signal you back on Zoom. Bonnie, I will signal you with one finger, and Adam, I will signal you with two fingers. I am taking out my headphones now. Bonnie, I'm taking mine off. Okay, ready, Tony? Yes. Okay, here is the question. I'm going to start by asking you the meaning of the word exiguous. <laughs> um, like... Uh, scanty, <laughs> small amount, tiny, little. Um, yes, yes, small in size or amount. <laughs> I, I don't know where scanty came from, but I I think it's because of your Christmas card theme this year. Oh my uh, God, stop. Okay, uh, that is correct, Tony. You have earned a body part. Well, let me just signal Bonnie back on. Okay. Okay, uh, Bonnie Burns, I'm going to ask you the meaning 
of a former nobody listens to Paul Poundstone vocabulary word, and the word is exiguous. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, small, scanty. <laughs> How's that? Uh, that's correct. You have earned for yourself a body part, uh, body part. And and Adam Felber, I'm signaling Adam Felber back on with the two finger, the traditional two finger Adam Felber signal. Before you begin, based yeah. on the facial expressions I saw, I would like to guess this week's vocabulary word. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really okay. Go ahead, Adam. Would you you can guess this week's vocabulary word? I would like to guess that the word this week is exiguous. You're correct, Adam Felber. Oh, wow. <laughs> and do you know the meaning of the word? I do not. Well, I'll give you a No, I do. I do. I do. It's small. It's 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 diminutive. It's a it's a, a, a miniature. It's, it's, it's a, a tiny amount of something. Small in size or amount. That is correct. Scanty. All, all scanty. scanty. It's an Ta adjective. Tony. <laughs> Tony, and it is an adjective, that's correct. Tony <laughs> insists on using uh, the word scanty in this definition. In connection um, of, with uh, this word, yes, for some reason. Okay, each of you has earned a body part. And again, listeners, you can go on our Facebook page uh, and you'll see the, the uh, slow creation of each of these beautiful portraits. Um, you very know, good. Maybe, it, maybe it's because scanty is a somewhat naughty word. Oh my God, stop. Yeah. <laughs> I think it helps sexy Tony remember. Um, <laughs> Okay, you know, I'm really working on us remembering, you know, because it's one thing to do it just for the for a quiz in school, right? But it's another thing to really remember the word. All right. Cool. You know, uh, John Engler said, redistricting is one of the purest actions a legislative body can take. Okay, but uh, pure what exactly, John? We'll find out if gerrymandering passes the smell test when we come back. And now, here's a breaking news update from the dental chair. When they're done counting, they're going to count some more. <laughs> this has been a news update from the dental chair. Hey, Paula. You know, every once in a while, we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of a midsummer night's dream okay and i played i played peter quince there there's the connection one of the mechanicals that's a great connection also yes has nothing to do with this which is that um quince is an online clothing store and as you know paula i've uh, i've lost a little weight lately oh right 75 pounds yeah so i literally have no clothes that are in my size until i just ordered some stuff at quince and i figured like here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself a whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got yes. the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got oh. the, um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. And these are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. 
I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger. Ooh. And, you know, I put them on when I came back from New York. I pulled them on and I, I swear to you, okay, this is not scientific because I was tired already. Right. But they were so soft. <laughs> <laughs> And so comfortable that honestly, like right as I got them up to my waist, I I, I think my eyes closed. They're so co- it's a softness, it's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment. Honestly, you know my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that too. Like so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're European. Keep that in mind. Uh, oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kind of, you can get washable silk tops. You can get uh, 14 karat gold jewelry and like all these accessories. When sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing, they cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's fantastic. So be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash nobody. Nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't (laughs) think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway. Use our code. Hey, Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress. And as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses. Because when Helix first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress and she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress and I sleep so well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in, in our room occasionally and everybody just piles on it and it it's comfy. And yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan. Well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions plus enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, an ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So, how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you find your perfect 
perfect mattress match in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. How hard is that? Uh, You know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. That's my boner. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress from my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux. And I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. On this day in unremarkable history, Milton Berle said, I don't know how such a rumor could have gotten started. Thank you, house band Kristen Lejeune. Very nice to have you back Woo! on the show. And uh, Paula, we're in a good place right now, but and yet you look like you have some consternation. Adam, like many Americans, I've spent a lot of time in the last couple of weeks watching Steve Kornacki's writhing khakis. I try to act like I'm following along in case he looks through the television at me, which is something I learned watching Romper Room as a kid. But there's so much about our elections that I, I, I still just don't understand. When he puts the pictures of the states divided up by districts on the big board, I, I can't even tell what state it is. I heard the Dems lost a lot in Florida because of gerrymandering. Why? What, what is that? Is my vote diluted based on where I live? And by the way, I know the Eldritch Gary uh, story about him drawing a district that looked like a salamander. But what I don't know is why he could. Can't this be fixed with graph paper? I, I, I can't really <laughs> ask anybody because I'm just embarrassed at all of what I don't know. You know, I need someone to explain it to me without making me feel stupid. Just person to person. A simple, clear explanation. I'll never find anybody to do that, though. I know they're out there. But I'll never meet them. I'm just not that lucky. Well, Paula, you know, you can't win them all. But wait a minute. Paula, do you have a flabber? Because prepare for it to be gasted. (gasps) Our guest this week is exactly the expert you seek in that particular pursuit. My flabber is gasted. 
Yes, he's author of OMG WTF Does the Constitution Actually Say? And OMGF WTA is gerrymandering. So he kind of knows a little bit about this stuff. Please welcome back returning champion, Ben Sheehan. Thank you for having me back. It's an honor to be here. It's great to have you. Yeah, nice to nice to see you. I can't remember when you were last with us, but um, I still look good. Um, ben, <laughs> how did the founders lay out how districts were to be drawn? Did they? Is it in the Constitution? And if so, where in the Constitution? They did not lay out how districts should be drawn because they left it up to the states. Son of a bitches. So there are two things that apply to gerrymandering specifically for uh, House races, for the, for the U.S. House, in the Constitution. One is Article 1, Section 2, which talks about the census. Every 10 years, we have to have a census, and we use that to decide how we're going to apportion representatives to each state, specifically how many people should be uh, applied to each, represent each state, and then also uh, the amount of tax people uh, would pay, because it used to be that everyone paid an even amount. So depending on how big a state's population was, that's how much tax the state owed to the federal government. Government. But this also pairs with a part of the Constitution, Article 1, Section 4, that says the times, places, and manner of elections for representatives and senators, so congressional elections, uh, are determined by the state legislature. And specifically for gerrymandering, we're talking about the manner of these elections. In these cases, basically, states run elections except that for congressional elections, Congress can overrule them. And Congress did. In 1842, they required that states use single-member districts to decide representatives for the House. So before that, Wh- states could have— What does that have, mean, single-member districts? So, like, you, they divide, you know, portions of the population or really land areas within the state, and every area corresponds to a single member. But before that, mm-hmm. that didn't have to be the case. Some states could have no districts, and it's just Delaware gets three members of the House or whatever it was at the time, then they would get three members. It wouldn't correspond to— Like the Senate. Exactly. It would be statewide, statewide representation. Um, but it would be proportional to the population rather than equal. Or you could have multi-member districts. So you could have, you know, three, say a state has nine representatives and they have three districts and three representatives per district. But starting in 1842, Congress passed this law saying that it's going to be single-member districts, and we've all been following that ever since. Do the districts right. have to roughly be equivalent population-wise? I mean, because I know state by state we're, we're doing that as per the Constitution, but what about the districts? Well, the Constitution didn't specify uh, this, but the Supreme Court did. In the 1960s, there were a series of court cases that basically said they kind of made gerrymandering a little bit harder. They specifically said that state legislative districts have to be relatively equal in uh, population from district to district, and also the U.S. House. Districts for the U.S. House have to be relatively equal in population. You may have heard of the famous phrase, one person, one vote. Um, That comes from this series of cases around gerrymandering. Now, you know how they'll say, like, for example, the Florida thing or the New York thing, um, both of which they say, well, it was gerrymandering that somehow changed the balance of power there. Does geography always indicate party preference? Like, I think somebody like Steve Kornacki seems to be able to tell you how you'll vote based on what street you live on. But I don't know anything about it. So so if I were to determine the district lines, wouldn't it automatically be in, uh, unbiased in a way that would make it work? 
Well, you're correct in that Steve Kornacki has all of our addresses memorized, but I would say that mostly (laughs) state legislatures use data uh, that's available to them based on how people voted in previous elections, based on party affiliation, so they can use these, you know, data sets that they've gained every election cycle. And then what's new in, you know, the last couple rounds of redistricting is really that states can, can use better technology and better software to draw these maps and also game out situations if they drew the maps like this this is how the you know uh, how this district would likely go this was what the balance of power would be for the state house the state senate the u.s house so in the last couple decades we've really had significant advancements in technology that has made gerrymandering more potent almost by you know the fact that it can be kind of buried in these uh really specifically drawn districts to your point to the house on the street. So what are they doing when they gerrymander? They're drawing lines for a district and their intent, am I right? Their intent is to draw the line around everyone who's say a Republican. Is that right? So there's two main ways to to gerrymander, and one of them is called packing and the other is called cracking. So one approach is basically taking, let's say it's roughly even numbers, uh, Republican, Democrat, right? And you take the minority party and you draw them into one district. That's called packing. So you're putting all the votes in one district so that, you know, one of the districts in the state or two of the districts in the state go uh, for the minority party and the rest go for the majority party. The other option is to crack that. So you basically draw lines. So you split up that minority party affiliation so that it's never going to be the majority in any district. And so you basically give them no ability to be represented. Um, those are kind of the two main ways. There are other ways like kidnapping is another tactic where you, where you draw the districts and you force two incumbents to run against each other. Uh, that happened, oh. I think, in a couple of times in California and I think in Ohio the last cycle. But if you want to really like create some chaos, you can draw it so that you have like two longtime incumbents that are forced to run against each other. And there's a couple other tactics that you can do. But packing and cracking is really the two the two main ones. Is there any limit state by state on just how crazy you can make that shape? Because some, some of the shapes of some of these districts are just insane looking. So there's one in Ohio that runs the entire, and, and it, it, it no longer, this is the, the old Ohio district, uh, but it was Ohio's ninth, and it was called the Snake on the Lake. It was right on uh, the, north, the north part of the state, and it literally ran from Toledo in the top uh, west corner to Cleveland in the top right. And at one point, the district was 20 yards wide. So it was wow. a, a was hundred that? mile, a hundred miles. Uh, <laughs> and at one point, 20 yards wide, just so that they could connect the, you know, to your point uh, about where you can find, you know, certain parties to connect the two urban centers of Toledo and Cleveland into the same district, because there's a high concentration of democratic voters in those cities. And by putting them in one district, you are essentially packing. Okay, so that was done by Republicans to combine what might have been two heavily uh, Democratic uh, African-American districts into one. Yes. To clarify, it is illegal. It is unconstitutional. The Supreme Court has said it is unconstitutional to gerrymander based on race. But So nobody ever does it. 
So please don't. No one ever. It's never happened. <laughs> um, so it is theoretically illegal to gerrymander based on race. But what if you do it based on political party? And there happens to be a significant correlation between race and political party. Well, the Supreme Court has said that there's nothing in the Constitution that says you can't gerrymander based on political parties. So they have re- repeatedly left it up to the states to decide whether they want to allow the legislature to draw the districts, which is how it is in most states, or create an independent redistricting commission or, or something else, but uh, they've purposely not ruled on this um, specifically, and they keep punting it back to the states. So what happened in Florida? Well, the legislature draws the lines in Florida. So it's one of the two-thirds of states, roughly, where the legislature draws. So they have a massive amount of power to draw the lines however they want, in most cases, to protect a majority. Not just their own. By the way, Florida is, I'm almost positive, one of the states where the legislature draws both their own state legislative districts and the districts for the United States House of Representatives. So they're not just drawing districts for that, the U.S. House. They're drawing literally their own seats. So you have, you know, the majority party in the state looking at each member of the majority party and drawing favorable districts so it's very easy for them to get. But they're not always good at it, right? Didn't that backfire in New York this year? It did backfire in New York because what happened is New York is obviously a Democratic-controlled state, and they drew an egregious map benefiting Democrats. You know, we talk a lot about Republicans being the ones who gerrymandered, Democrats gerrymandered too. Uh, Illinois is badly gerrymandered. Maryland is gerrymandered. Massachusetts to to some degree. Uh, New York tried to do an egregious gerrymander, but it was struck down by uh, the state Supreme Court. So there's a much more uh, even-handed map in New York. Uh, some Democrats were upset about that and blamed uh, Andrew Cuomo, who appointed a judge to the state Supreme Court who had a hand in in striking down that map. And so, you know, people who think gerrymandering, you know, if, if one side is gerrymandering, then the other side should should do it too. We're, we're not happy about that decision. Gotcha. You know, um, Jerry Brown said, we now have a flawed kind of democracy. We need to look at some way to get proportional representation, and we should adopt some form of it. Hey, this is America, former Governor Moonbeam. You don't like it? Go to Portugal. And speaking of that, we'll have more with Ben Sheehan, and then go to Portugal with Bonnie and Tony when we come back. (laughs) The Cat of the Week is Sparto from Portland, Maine. It's just me, Paula Poundstone. I don't want to bring you down by reminding you of why we need to laugh, COVID, but we do. Laughter could be practically prescribed by a doctor. Climate change. And there's something about the shared (laughs) emotional experience of being a part of an audience that makes the laughter that much more powerful. Kids, 99% of the time when someone types LOL, they're lying. You don't laugh out loud at stuff when you're alone. You acknowledge in your head that you think the thing you're seeing or hearing is funny. Depression. That's why television (laughs) shows use a laugh track. By the way, it was only recently that it dawned on me that the Flintstones couldn't have had a live audience. Loneliness. I'm not saying that I'm the only one who can provide this healing laughter, Trump. But I am saying (laughs) you need to get it somewhere. And it happens that I work in theaters all over the country. Nuclear war. Go to paulapoundstone.com and see when I'll be at a theater near you. Parallel parking.
to talk to Trump. Talking to the former president can be difficult, but by practicing these suggested phrases in front of a mirror for just a few minutes a day, you'll be saying what you need to say to him with confidence in no time. Get a pen and a paper and write them down. Today's phrase is, there is no God, and if there was, they would not choose you. (laughs) (laughs) And we're back with Ben Sheehan. We're talking gerrymandering and redistricting, and Paula Poundstone has a question. I do. Um, (laughs) Ben, I know you explained this already, but explain it again. How did gerrymandering influence the election in New York? So the Democrats had made lines... Somebody took them to court over it. Am I, is that right? That's correct. Yes. And then uh, Cuomo, uh, it went to a judge that he had appointed. So in 2014, New York uh, added a state constitutional amendment, basically making redistricting a lot fairer and harder to manipulate. This new round of maps drawn by the New York state legislature was challenged. It went to court. And yes, one of the judges who ended up ruling against the Democrats was somebody who was appointed by Cuomo. So basically the judge decided that the Democrats had violated the brand new law demanding that things be fair. Yes. And how do they make them fair? I mean, uh, does anybody have a system that works fairly? Well, there's a problem with a legislature because it's a bunch of partisan officials drawing their own maps. There's a conflict of interest. It's very easy to draw maps that then ensure you keep getting elected if you draw a bunch of people into your district that are likely to vote for you. So inherently, having the legislature draw the maps is a flawed idea, and it has been flawed for a very long time. However, there are states who have taken it upon themselves to pick a different way of drawing lines. And one very increasingly popular method that a number of states use are something called independent redistricting commissions, which are commissions in large part made up of just ordinary voters, a group of independents, a group of Republicans, a group of Democrats who get together and try to draw fair lines. And because they are not politicians themselves, they don't have this warded incentive to draw themselves into lasting power. And so you have that in states like California. Uh, This election cycle, you had that in Michigan for the first time, uh, a handful of Mm -hmm. other states. And generally, that tends to result in seats and and a makeup in the state legislative chamber and in the U.S. Congress that more matches the kind of partisan breakdown of the state. Now, we're talking about drawing lines, but it's not just drawing lines, because that's why I say, couldn't it just be done with graph paper? Couldn't you just drop graph paper onto a state and and then draw a square or a circle or whatever, and then it would be geographically fair? But the ones who do it fairly, what are they doing? They sit down at a table and they... Well, they're, you know, it, because population is not spread evenly throughout a state, if you were just to drop, you know, a bunch of squares, it would look nice, but it would likely be very unfair because you'd have some very densely populated squares and some very sparsely yeah. populated squares. That's right. Pa- Paula Poundstone, your idea would just completely fuck the Democrats. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, because, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Because like how Wyoming has the same yeah. amount of senators as we do. It would be worse than that. Yes. Yeah. OK. How about this? 
How about this? <laughs> how about if we district according to how many cows a state has? How about that? Or dogs, for that matter. Where was I, Justin? There was just dogs everywhere. I actually do know the answer to this. Cows would have a disproportionate effect in Nebraska because it is uh, a state that has more cows than people. Wow. Wow. Okay. All right. So far, I'm not making anything better. The cows could theoretically gerrymander the people and put themselves in power because they do have the majority vote in that state. (laughs) In Arizona, you could use Circle K's. Uh, There's a lot of Circle K's (laughs) in uh, Arizona. Um, Okay, so in in order to do it fairly, when they have these commissions, what steps do they go through? So they look at, you know, how many people in the existing district have voted a certain way. They look at the population in those districts because, you know, they redraw the districts every 10 years. Do they look at people... People who need people, because those are the luckiest people in the world. <laughs> they don't need any help. I think they take all of that into, into consideration. Why don't they have Barbara Streisand do the redistricting? Okay, all right, sorry. Okay, so they look at people. For whatever it's worth, by the way, she could easily be on the California Redistricting Commission. Everyone can apply, and then you get vetted, and it's just whoever lives in California. So anyone in California has a pretty equal shot to be one of the 14 people on the commission. Oh, so I wonder what our delegate Streisand does think about people. They're the luckiest people in the world, the people who need people. (laughs) So, Ben, I interrupted you because I had that delightful joke about people who need people. And I just didn't want to miss that. Uh, so um, you started to say that there something about people. That, that threw me. Right. They're taking into account the voting patterns of the district. They're looking at who's moved into the state, into the district. They're looking at who's left the district. You know, over 10 years, populations change drastically. They're, you know, it depends on the district. Um, but you can have a lot of new influx of people, uh, people leaving, people dying. And so they look at the population balance. They look how the district has voted in the past, they can see, um, you know, they can look at the county level data and see, you know, how counties have voted, how neighborhoods have voted, and they try to draw districts that are competitive, roughly, you know, you know, obviously some states inherently have more members of one party than the other, but they try to take into account drawing even number, uh, you know, even districts. So the same population as much as they can in each district population size and relatively even numbers of Republicans and Democrats. Or if for some reason they can't do that based on the geographic um, distribution of Democrats and Republicans drawing even numbers of districts. So you know, for every district that skews Republican, uh, a district that skews Democratic. Um, But that's the general idea. I think in Wyoming, weren't they going to try a thing where they took the 10 Democrats and made each of them go live in a different district? Was that an idea that they had? (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was a great idea, except that (laughs) Wyoming is one of those at-large states that only has one member of the House of Representatives. Maybe at the state legislative level, they could have done that. Wyoming only has one, and it's Liz Cheney? Yeah, well, until recently, yeah. I mean, she'll yeah, she'll be was. there. She'll be there until January third. But yeah, there's only one. Yeah. It's, it's the smallest state. It only yeah. has five hundred fifty something thousand people. Do they take neighborhoods into account at all? My neighborhood has a line going right through it, and like, so like I've got Cardenas, and I think right down the street they have Adam Schiff. Do, do people who redistrict think about like, well, this neighborhood has a name. It has a school district. It has a police department. Maybe they should have the same congressman. They absolutely have the ability 
to do that. And in fact, they've even gone smaller than neighborhoods and gone down to college campuses. So there used to be a district uh, uh, before this latest round of redistricting. There used to be a district, I believe it was North Carolina 6 was one of them, but it was next to another district. And the Republicans in the state legislature drew the district where a district line went smack down the middle of North Carolina A&T, which is one of the largest and oldest historically black uh, public universities in the country, oh. and I believe in the state as well. Uh, to split up that vote. And if you say register to vote as a freshman at the university, you moved across campus um, as a junior, you would have to re-register to vote. Now, the, wow. North Carolina is interesting. Because just evil. It is evil. North, North Carolina is famous for being like ground zero of gerrymandering ideas and uh, I, I hate to use this word, entrepreneurial <laughs> approach to gerrymandering. This guy, Thomas Hofstetler, uh, is, he, he passed away recently, um, and his daughter actually gave all of his old data and hard drives uh, to investigators. Then they looked at it, and they showed how advanced, and, and specifically, he was trying to disenfranchise African-American voters and Democrats through a, a, a gazillion different, you know, Microsoft Excel spreadsheets and models. Wow. Um, and like specifically trying to do this. So North Carolina has always been kind of ground zero because it's a fairly evenly divided state, but it's always had a much higher representation um, in uh, its congressional delegation for uh, Republicans, at least. Give us some numbers. They're about a 50-50 state. How egregious can this gerrymandering make the misrepresentation in Congress. So North Carolina, there was a famous court case uh, where the court ruled that North Carolina legislators were gerrymandering African-Americans with almost surgical precision. In defense, there was a state legislator who said that the reason he wasn't able to draw a district that was like 10 and 3 or 11 and 2, he was like, I, I, I tried to draw it based on political party um, and I failed. So the best I could do was 10 and 3. But in his defense, saying that he was drawing it based on political party and not on race, he very openly said that the best efforts they could make was to take a relatively evenly split state and get it so that there were, you know, 10 Republicans and three Democrats. So it should have been like six and seven, but instead they gerrymander it all the way to 10 and three. Yes. And in Ohio, which I mentioned earlier, you know, it was roughly even split in, uh, I think, 2012 and uh, 12 of the seats went to Republicans and four went to, to Democrats. So you can really you, you see this in closely divided states, especially closely divided states with um, a single controlled legislature. They try to keep themselves in power because they know that power is threatened. But the one thing I want to bring up is that there's a Supreme Court case specific to North Carolina and specific to gerrymandering that's going to be heard on December 7th and decided in June, and it could completely upend how gerrymandering operates going forward, as well as presidential elections. It's called Moore versus Harper. And basically what the Speaker of the North Carolina House of Representatives, Tim Moore, is arguing is that because the Constitution specifies state legislatures with, you know, the times, places, and manner, the thing I was talking about at the, at the top, that state courts shouldn't have a say, the governor shouldn't have a say, uh, the state constitution is irrelevant, and any citizen passed ballot initiatives because the wording in the Constitution is legislature, so it must be talking specifically about that body. And they are making oh, that really? argument, and it's been backed up by a number of conservative uh, experts and quote-unquote scholars. And if the Supreme Court rules <laughs> in favor of this guy, governors would have no ability to you know, veto unfair lines. State courts couldn't strike them down like that happened in New York. Uh, even if citizens passed a ballot measure like in Michigan, uh, that would be irrelevant, and it would all fall to the legislature. It's an incredibly extreme 
interpretation wow. and wording. But if that happened, not only would it influence gerrymandering, but in Article uh, Article Two, Section One, it says that legislatures decide the manner of choosing the electors. So if legislatures have this super you know, unitary power for gerrymandering, then they could also use that for presidential elections, including canceling our vote for president um, and just picking the electors themselves. It's like that false slate of electors that Trump wanted, except it would be completely legal then. Yes. The Supreme Court could say that, hey, the word legislature, they're talking about state legislature. They don't mention state courts, the governor, the state's constitution or ballot measures. And so whatever the legislature says goes. Yes, you're right. That's exactly what they tried to do, because for the first hundred years of the country, you know, not every state had a presidential election. Every state has only allowed people to vote for president since 1880, like all, like every state. Before that, some states allowed a popular vote for president, and some states just, the legislature just chose the electors themselves. There was no vote for, for president. Oh, I didn't know that. So they could go back to that. So what stands in the way of what you just described happening? The Supreme Court. The, how, how the hearing goes on December 7th. So the case is going to be argued on December 7th. And then it's going to be decided, like most Supreme Court cases, in, in June. Never did the founders want one branch of government to just be able to ignore its own constitution, uh, its governor, its courts, and just do whatever it wants around elections. The ultimate irony is that it's precisely state constitutions that create the legislature. So state legislatures only exist because their state constitution says we're going to have a legislature and a governor and a court. So the fact that they could ignore the thing that creates them is extremely suspect. But this is the argument yeah. that's being put forward. And there are at least four justices that have showed an openness to this theory called the independent state legislature theory. Uh, wow. And if it does happen, it Congress would finally have to act or else we're just kind of fucked in that regard. It would be uh, an absolute disaster. And that's why it's really important for Congress to pass electoral count reform to, to close the loopholes that, that the um, Congress and certain governors and legislatures tried to exploit in 2020 to be able to overturn the will of the voters in certain states and reform this outdated law from 1887 that has a 300-word paragraph that people can barely understand and agree on what it says. Um, you know, yeah. it's long past time to revise this law and close the loopholes and ambiguities. Um, and hopefully Congress will do that during the lame duck session. But if for some reason they don't, that could spell disaster when uh, more V. Harper gets decided because we're going to have a split Congress. So it'll be too late to act by that time. What system did Michigan come up with that isn't working? So Michigan in 2018 passed an independent redistricting commission. The legislature before that used to draw the lines, and it was a, a young woman named Katie Fahey who started this movement after Trump was elected and posted on Facebook about, hey, maybe we should end gerrymandering in Michigan. This seems fucked up. You guys want to get on board? And people started joining her Facebook group, and then they created this movement, started raising money and getting enough signatures to get this ballot measure on the ballot. It got on the ballot. It won. It passed. And then in 2021, instead of state legislators, it was a group of citizens in Michigan overseen by the Secretary of State, and they drew redrew district lines to create more competitive elections. And as a result, both the Michigan State House and the State Senate flipped. Wow. Wow. Just because they'd made it fair. Because they made it more fair. I think Michigan was the only state in the country that flipped both legislative chamber control. Well, Ben, that is all fascinating and excellent. And now it is our task to take all the information that you've unloaded on us and run it through a machine we call the old Pounce Donator. Paula? 
House Band Kristen Lejeune, thank you so much for enriching our show with your fabulous violining. We are better for it every time you're with us. If I could ask you to draw your bow across your strings for a few more minutes, I'll tell you what the old pounce spit out. <laughs> Sheehan, thank you for shedding light on this dark, dank subject of gerrymandering. It's a tough one. I can see where it's a challenge for many reasons. The first, of course, is worst of intentions. I mean, even if those who decide are trying to be fair, it's not easy to solve. Part of the problem is that we don't like to live together. I admit it. I'm part of the problem. I don't want to live beside someone who has a Trump sign up in their yard. I'm this close to advocating secession. Maybe we just have to bite the bullet to achieve fairness. Maybe we have to choose our housing like a Virginia reel. Democrats line up on one side, Republicans line up across from them, and when the music starts, you join your new neighbor in the middle. Join hands. One supports January 6th, the other wants health care for the sick. Promenade. One enjoys some open carry, <laughs> the other one wants gays to marry. Swing your partner. One wants voting far and wide, the other wants a clown car ride. Sashay down, one of them wants to save the earth, the other one wants to force all birth. Welcome to the neighborhood. Best-selling author of non-boring Constitution books and expert at simplifying government for us, Ben Sheehan, thanks so much for coming on our podcast. Thanks, Ben. Thank you for having me. Coming up, we welcome all our soon-to-be new listeners from Portugal and demonstrate our deep knowledge and appreciation of their culture and their ways. I hope. Fingers crossed. It's Bonnie and Tony's oral report. And it's when we come back. Fun fact, the Oscars used to give out an award for Best Child Performer. But then it was decided that the show had too many spoiled, immature brats and that kids probably shouldn't be anywhere near them. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Kristen Lejeune. Oh, my gosh, that sounds good. And we are back, and nobody listens to Ball Poundstone and so excited about what's coming next. Wait a second, Adam. What? The ghost of Ben Franklin must kind of like me because he's been hanging around here a lot. I, I keep finding my wigs moved around. I see him right behind you now, Paula. Yes. Yes, I've returned <laughs> to watch the midterm election returns. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Mr. Franklin, weren't you the one who a woman asked at the end of the Constitutional Convention? Uh, she said, well, doctor, what have we got? A republic or a monarchy? Yeah. And you responded, a, a republic if you can keep it? Wasn't that you? Uh, no, no, no. I mean, yes. But no, no, no. <laughs> I was misquoted there. What I said to her was, French women love me. Are you by any chance French? Wow, that, that really did get misquoted. Just, mm. just out of curiosity, was it, was it you who said time is money? 
Well, yes, but no. <laughs> uh, that was another uh, game of telephone, if you will, which, by the way, I did not invent. Uh, what I said there was... Um, Babette, meet me behind the alehouse when the big hand is on 20 cents. <laughs> Boy, that, that really did get garbled over time. So yes. how, how do you think, uh, Ben Franklin, or ghost of Ben Franklin, how do you yeah, well, think Well, you can call me Ben Franklin, even though ben I'm not in the, in the flesh anymore. And speaking no, of flesh, weak. I bet that miserable woman, Bonnie Burns, wants to talk about mine. Yike. Oh, because of the <laughs> because of the the gout, because well, of um, the incessant overweight jokes she makes at my expense. <laughs> oh yeah, well, we're we're trying to turn the corner on that. It I think still we're hurts. To- it still hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Bonnie, Bonnie, it sounds like you owe Ben Franklin an apology. Maybe Ben. I didn't mean it in a, like a personal thing, like it was bad to be oh. overweight. I just was yes. making an observation. Yes, no, no, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, <laughs> like when you were alive, was it thought of as bad to be overweight? I mean, you did Okay, get we were talking about the election. Back to you, Paula. <laughs> well, wow, wait, way to clean up your mess, Bonnie. Um, so... Mr. Franklin, how do you think we've done uh, keeping the republic? Well, your judiciary could use some work. I mean, why isn't that Trump person in jail? (laughs) You know what, sir? I don't understand it either. He's a snake and he gets out of everything. Well, we had a man like that. His name was Calvin Tinbury. He was a dishonorable, self-centered, untrustworthy cheat. History hasn't remembered him. How long did he serve? We didn't elect him. He was horrible. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that was the right thing. Times have certainly changed. They sure have. And now I must go. It's 25 cents o'clock. And I have a rendezvous with a certain other ghost of the French persuasion. Well, thanks for coming by. What, Who what, likes what? me despite the size and girth of my belly burns? Ah. <laughs> uh, you know, okay, here's a tip. Yes? Those three-way mirrors actually make you look thinner than you really are. They do that, so you know, it, it's an incentive to buy clothes. But here's a tip, Ben. I can't believe we're doing this. <laughs> Mr. Franklin. Yes? Sir, you don't have a three-way mirror, do you? Oh, yes, of course I do. <laughs> oh, my mistake. I like to see myself from all angles, and I'm fine with every single one of them, birds. <laughs> no, Ben, I was going to ask you something. Boy, were men that were overweight oh boy. when you were around <laughs> yeah. still considered attractive? Men of my size were not considered overweight, Burns. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we dwelling on this? I wanted to... Fucking fathers of the country. Yeah, honestly. No, you were so smart. Thank you. But you did get gout. And that only comes no! from rich foods and too much. <laughs> I'm leaving. <laughs> Goodbye, Poundstone. All right, it was good talking with you, sir. Thank you. Wow. Bonnie, you did not manage to endear, uh, repair any fences really? there with you and Ben Franklin. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Fe- yeah, not got a it. single fence was mended. No, a lot of yeah. the fence fell down. I seized the opportunity and ran with it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's great that you can insult people 
over time. Yeah. You know, it's one thing when you insult people, you know, that are your contemporaries. It's another thing to reach back into history and insult them. All right. <laughs> Where are we at? Oh, you know what it's time to do? It is time for Bonnie and Tony's oral report. I am so excited that they have showed up today prepared to butter up our potential new listener base in Portugal. And so before we even start that, I, wa I want to just prime you guys with a question. How many listeners do we currently have in Portugal? We don't know. I mean, we know there's not enough, but... Oh, there's never we enough. We couldn't figure out how to sign on to get that information. We need more. Oh. I think it's safe to say. Okay. Well, we're off to a yeah. great start. Without further ado, um, in the absence of knowledge, here comes Bonnie and Tony's oral report. Take it away. Portugal is the oldest country in Europe. It has had the same defined borders since 1139. 11th? Wow. So that's a long time. My guess is that that just makes Putin itch, uh, you, you know, because he's a <laughs> yeah. guy who likes to likes to uh, disturb things. OK. All right. Good. That's wow. In 1755, a super violent earthquake brought utter destruction to Lisbon. Um, she's the head of the California Bureau of, of Investigation <laughs> in the show The Mentalist. I just oh. so happen to know. So is Lisbon like the capital or something? Or is it an important city in Portugal? It's the capital of Portugal. And yeah. it was destroyed in an earthquake. Wow. Yep, in 1755. And I'm assuming they fixed it. No. Maybe. Here. Oh, are you going <laughs> to? No, go gonna, ahead. Go ahead. Are you, are, Tony, Tony, are you going to continue? Or no, I was, I, I was, you go, you go, you go. No, no, no. Are you going to finish about the earthquake? Oh, yes, I am going to finish you, about you the earthquake. have a signal, like the rain in Spain. <laughs> well, that would never be a signal. That's absurd. Um, but the good news is uh, Lisbon was rebuilt. But what was amazing was that the Portuguese authorities came up with a way to test the strength of new buildings. They got soldiers to march around tiny models of buildings to simulate <laughs> the ground shaking in an earthquake. Oh, that's really cool. You know, when I was a kid, my sisters took piano lessons with Mrs. Cop, and I wanted to take piano lessons with Mrs. Cop, but Mrs. Cop had my parents put me in a class that she, and it was in her house, you know, that she called pre-piano. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty wide open, pre-piano. We weren't allowed to touch the piano in pre-piano. <laughs> One wow. of the things that we, uh -huh. that we did was we marched around her coffee table with like, <laughs> uh, you know, some kid had a triangle, some kid had symbols. I think I might have had a Quaker Oats box. <laughs> and I realize now she was simulating an earthquake. Uh, <laughs> she was trying to see what would happen if there was an earthquake, what would happen to her coffee table and should she have coffee on it. Eventually I moved on to actual piano, but not, not real successfully. But anyways. That earthquake thing is fascinating. It's actually the same way that Tokyo uh, tested to figure out whether their buildings were stable enough to withstand Godzilla. <laughs> oh, and boy, they were wrong. They were totally wrong. <laughs> so I want to ask Adam and Paula, do you know what Portugal and Japan have in common? 
Ooh, they've made their presentation interactive. Um, (laughs) And Japan. I would say the letter A and the letter P if I had to answer. I'm going to go with rice-based dishes. You know, Adam's kind of close. It's tempura. Tempura. I had no idea. Yeah, I wasn't that close, but it was cuisine related. (laughs) Okay, tempura isn't rice, is it? Bonnie? Well, it's not, but I mean, he was kind of in the food category. Yeah, he was in the food category. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) here's what happened. The Portuguese were the first Europeans to reach Japan in the 16th century. The Portuguese brought many of their dishes with them, as in dishes that you eat. Now now it sounds like I said, you eat your dishes. So it was kind of Willy (laughs) Wonka-like. Yeah. No. Okay, anyway, who can take a sunrise? <laughs> and they taught the Japanese how to make tempura. And then... They taught the Japanese how to make tempura. Yeah, the Japanese. It was a Portuguese dish. Well, isn't it just like something deep fried, basically? Yeah. It's stuff kind of breaded <laughs> and fried. <laughs> but they weren't doing that in Japan. Yeah, you know, the Portuguese walked in and they said, you know what this country really is missing? Heart attacks. And then just to prove it, their soldiers ran around stomping on Japan and said, and can you withstand an earthquake? Uh, Wow, yeah. You said they were the first Europeans to make it to Japan? They were. Was there a contest? Last one to Japan is Ron Egg. Well, I understand. That would have been good. Was there an understanding among the countries in Europe at the time that they were supposed to go to Japan? Was it Magellan Portuguese? Weren't the Portuguese kind of like leading explorers? Are you asking us or telling us? Back (laughs) back then? I mean, I guess someone doing a report might say that Portugal's geographic location on the... uh, west coast of Europe, and with so many vibrant seaports, became, though a small country, at the forefront of exploration of the world during that period of time. And thus, they found and, uh, in some cases, colonized many a place. Wait wait a minute. Whose report is this? Well, that was well said. In fact, uh, Bonnie and Tony, I'm sure your report might involve some other extremely large countries, maybe in the Americas, that the Portuguese traveled to and gave their language to. Uh, You make a really shitty audience member, if you don't mind my saying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm sort of picturing you going to see the play uh, Romeo and Juliet. You'd be like, no, you're you're interested in Juliet. They're supposed to make... No, you, you, there's That's a po- fake poison. She's okay. <laughs> yeah, she's fine. You don't have to kill yourself. All right. So Tony and Bonnie, who are doing the presentation, yeah. could you yeah. continue? Yeah, please oy, do. Oy, please oy. Do. Yes. Right. <laughs> Guess who is the biggest cork producer in the world? Portugal. Oh, duh. <laughs> oh my heavens. You guys are really going with this interactive angle. Um, You didn't see my hand up, Tony. My hand is up. Yeah, Paula? Portugal? Yes. It produces more than 50% of the world's cork supply. It is also home to the world's largest cork forest, making up 34% of the world's area of cork forests. 
Tony, cork comes from trees? We're not at the Q&A portion of this presentation. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> so prior to that, people just spilled a lot of wine. Is that correct? Because they didn't have corks? Most likely. Now you're just speculating. <laughs> Here's a question for you. True <laughs> or false? Is Portugal one of the European countries that has capital punishment? I'm going to say... No, wait. Let me ask it again. Let oh, me ask for it fuck's again. sakes. Wait, okay. <laughs> True or false? Was Portugal the first European country to abolish capital punishment? Okay, I'm going to cut you off before we answer, um, because, Bonnie, when one constructs a true or false question, one does not ask a question. One makes a oh, statement don't. and then asks us if it's true or false. For instance, for instance, if I were to say, I, I might say true or false, Bonnie was not prepared to answer that question. Then you would get to say true, and you'd be right. Yeah, I, I think what's happened is clearly they have the information down. I mean, obviously... <laughs> Bonnie and Tony are the world's foremost experts on Portugal, and that has been established. But what's happened is I think they're making some uh, last-minute choices <laughs> yes. about how they're presenting. And they've decided to go with this interactive, with this odd, true or false, with this weird essay question to the audience. I have to concur with Professor Poundstone. It seems like the knowledge is there, but the format is a fly by the seat of your pants kind of thing. Yeah. And this is just you do it your own way. Just you go you go ahead. I I believe Bonnie Burns that they did away with capital punishment. And I'm going to say they were the first nation in Europe to do so. Okay, well, maybe I gave that away a little, but maybe you here, did. Here's oh, what I yeah. thought was really <laughs> It's possible. <laughs> no, okay, okay. In 1867, they abolished capital punishment. And oh, okay, wait. In 1867, <laughs> they abolished capital punishment. Who do you think was the first country to abolish life imprisonment? Portugal. Because that's the only damn thing we researched since yesterday. So I think I, 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 I mean, Paula can agree or disagree with me, but I think maybe abandoning this Q and A format might be a yeah. super strong idea. At this moment. What? Wait a minute. What year was this abandoning uh, uh, lifetime imprisonment? In 1884. How advanced is that? Oh, That's God. a long time ago, but the guys who died in 1883 were so pissed off. <laughs> yeah. And Bonnie didn't fuck up there until 1885. So she's, okay, well, so she's been truth, given her freedom. The truth is they hadn't executed anybody for a crime in Portugal since 1860. Oh, no, wait. I erased that part. <laughs> no, I erased that part. I, I, I feel like... I feel like our entire things. report is starting to get bogged down in 1880s Portugal no, law and order. Is, okay, wait, so, all right. So, Bonnie, could you tell us more about the crime and punishment of Portugal? Thank you. Wait, I have hey, one hey, wait. more thing. Wait, no, no, I, I just want to set this up right. In the 1880s Portuguese criminal justice system, there were two branches, law and order. This is their story. Chum, chum. 
Okay. Yeah. And, okay. Uh, in 1890, they went to timeouts. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, the, the president would just call the criminal in and say how disappointed he was in them. And that was enough. <laughs> and that was not until 1895, by the way, Paula. Yeah, that was sweet. Yeah. Um, the crime and punishment of Portugal in the 1800s has been a fascinating portion of your report. Here's a question. Really? Yeah. Can it be a statement? Portugal, Portugal has a limit on how many years a person can serve in prison. We so, have to get off this topic. That. It's a whole fucking country with a culture and music and it's been around all this time. And the, there's the 20th century and the 21st century and they're really interesting. We have to stop talking about crime. <laughs> Bonnie is very well known for her TED talk to potential uh, Portuguese criminals. And she is, she is basically scared straight any number of people that were planning on ripping off Portugal. Okay. Yeah. Do you think their limit on the number of years you can be in prison is 15 years, 25 years, or... Is there someone else we can talk to? (laughs) Can I ask you something, Bonnie? Are you ever part of the punishment in Portugal? You don't have to go to jail, but Bonnie Burns is going to try to explain some shit to you and be prepared to answer questions. Tony, Tony, please tell me something about Portugal. So what I'm hearing is you you don't want me to ask you a question. Is that well, a question you can or read a, a room. <laughs> Tony is so sensitive. That's the thing. She can pick up on stuff. Okay, so... Emotional intelligence. (laughs) Portugal has some of the lowest drug usage rates in the European. (laughs) Well, that's good because otherwise they'd go to jail for fifteen years, twenty-five years, fifteen years. On July first, two thousand one, Portugal decriminalized the recreational use of all common drugs, including cannabis, cocaine, LSD, and heroin. Wow! Possession okay, of these is not right. illegal. It's not illegal. So, how are they doing with that? <laughs> I they'll live some of the lowest drug usage rates in the EU. How about that? <laughs> another I'm, question. Another no goddamn know, question. <laughs> you can't find this information just anywhere. If you have more than, uh, if you possess more than ten days worth, you might get jail time, but you'll also get offered rehab. Free rehab. If you possess more than ten days uh, worth, yeah. <laughs> okay. Is there is there that anything sounds, in that? <laughs> that? That sounds quite subjective to me. That's like my party size bag of Ruffles potato chips. I, who's fucking? Bi- what business is it of theirs? How many people I have at my party? It was just me at the party, and I ate the whole bag. So what is ten days of regular drugs? The, the Q&A portion is not, is not happening. Well, there's a lot of Q. You just don't want us to ask you questions. Um, yeah. Here, here's I'd what I would the, like to challenge. The, the, I, the I'm going to have portions. to pull the plug on this very soon because 
There are no. There aren't FCC rules about how long a podcast can go on, but I feel like I'm going to make one. Can, I, can we move the report away from things about what is legal <laughs> and not in okay, Portugal? Because I feel like there's other things. Adam, if we break the FCC rule about the podcast being long, how long would we be punished for? 15 years, 25 years, or 50 years? No, this is so okay. informative. No, I think we all want to know how many days of drugs we can carry in Portugal. Go ahead, Tony. Ten days It sounds like a lot. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's this a normal f- dose. Yeah. Uh, what is a normal dose of cocaine? <laughs> I feel like you guys were sitting together writing this report, and the Wikipedia man showed up at, at the door no. and said, I'm sorry, you haven't paid your bill this week. We're turning it off. And you're like, no, 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 no. We're not done with law and order. That's all we've done. So- <laughs> Click. Yeah. No. Um, what if you have what you thought was 10 days of cocaine, and they say, no, that's 11 days. <laughs> Just seems a little subjective. Then you get sent to rehab. Oh. Yeah, for free. For but free. for free. For free. Okay. But for 15 <laughs> years, for 25 years, or for 50 years? <laughs> I, um, okay. For the listeners that want to go on a drug run to Portugal with me, just sign up on our Facebook page. Okay, you guys, what else? Okay, well, that's it, because we've been, last time you guys said we had too much information, yeah. and so we were trying to find, like, the right balance of what we should have. So you narrowed it down <laughs> to how much thought, drugs you could carry in no, Portugal? No, we thought, like, all that stuff, we decided to get rid of all that stuff, like the geography and, you know, where Important it is, figures. what countries it's next to. We thought that was... Oh, who Cut wants that to know that? People know that. You didn't talk about their culture at all. Um, well, you didn't mention Brazil, which uh, they brought tempura. What? <laughs> you know what, you guys? I think this is the best one yet. I do. I do because you really you followed your hearts. You were and, focused, and your, and your hearts led you to crime. And I think that's great. And wow. This has been Bonnie and Tony's oral report. Okay, here's what I took away from it. Um, they brought tempura to Japan, and you can carry 10 days worth of cocaine in Portugal. That is fascinating. Thank you. <laughs> now, the takeaway is they've, they've been, since the 1880s, very progressive uh, on the subjects of crime and punishment. Yeah, they were the ones who let Willie Horton out. It was <laughs> We decided to not do this because we thought it'd take too long to explain. But Portugal has become the most desirable country to live in in the world right mm-hmm. now. There's all these expats that are going there. That took you yeah. five seconds to say. Well, we had it to- wouldn't have. It wouldn't have taken you long if you hadn't posed everything as a question like you were on Jeopardy and an improvised question of that. Yeah. Yeah. This was we were the most together on this. Did you notice we didn't introduce one another? You know why? Because we were trying to, you know, shave off time. Oh, yeah. you streamlined. That- you streamlined. <laughs> yeah. In fact, in order to do it, they've been telling us about the country of Portugal. Yeah. They Just to save time. Yeah. This is no, it's been you guys, really good job. Thank you. And yeah, uh, that's really good. I'm glad I didn't I get would- any extraneous information. <laughs> 
Portugal. I would advise young men that are volatile and maybe in their criminal years to wait on visiting Portugal. Because <laughs> uh. yeah, you will have five days of rehab if you do that and get caught. Yeah. Hey, Paula Poundstone, yeah. what's going on in your Poundstone product empire Wait, this week? I what? have something what? to say. What? I, was, I had oh, a I has something else to say. You didn't Go let ahead, me get Bonnie. the finish in. Okay. Sure, please. Portugal. The big finish. Da, 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 Portugal. <laughs> da, 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 Portugal. <laughs> go, oh, go. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that was not <laughs> the Portuguese national anthem. <laughs> Um, wait, you said Portugal had something to do with Brazil. No, they play that before every tempura game. Well, what did what you did just have to do with Brazil? That song. Brazil. Da, 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 oh. da, 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 Brazil. You didn't get that? No. no. <laughs> Getting it now, though. Oh, boy, am I getting it. Hey, Paula, do you have anything going on in the Poundstone product empire this week? I, you know, Adam, Adam, more importantly, I understand that you have a podcast now. Am I correct that it's called Dad Band Land and it's the music commentary podcast from the point of view of a neighborhood cover band? Yes, that that is in fact a fact. Thank you. Thank you, Paula. Well, yes. That is so exciting. Congratulations, Adam. Yeah, thank you. I, I hope all of our listeners will at least give it a try. It's been quite good lately. Well, clearly in Portugal, they have quite a sense of music. So uh, I think all of our Portuguese listeners will be heading over. Oh, to I don't want to cut into our new Portuguese listeners because they're going <laughs> to hear the oral report and they will be like flocking to us. Well, as I've mentioned before, I'm kind of over and out with self-promotion. So what I've been doing is just putting a little blurb of information on little pieces of paper and tossing them into this fishbowl here. Then, as I've done in recent weeks, I randomly pull a few pieces and read these bits of information. It only takes a minute. Heidi's happy. Ben Franklin's ghost isn't flying around after me saying his platitudes about time. It's yes. better than the Cynthia. <laughs> it's... It's better than the Cynthia Cryer way, I think. So I'll just take the first paper. Here we go. Oh, look. On Saturday, December 10th, I'll be in St. Paul, Minnesota at the Fitzgerald Theater. There. See how unfettered that is? No pressure. People can go to paulapoundstone.com, click on the tour tab, and get tickets if they want. That's paulapoundstone.com. Here's, here's another one. Oh, look at that. My book, The Totally Unscientific Study of the Search for Human Happiness, is available at the shop at paulapoundstone.com. The audio version on CD is available there as well, and I'd be happy to autograph either to whoever you want. I, I have time for that sort of caring detail now because I've streamlined the plugorama. I'll just quickly pull out a another little piece of information. Here we are. Kathy McMillan of Rayford, Hoke County, North Carolina, holds the oldest high school track and field event record. In 1976, which is about 100 years before Portugal reformed its <laughs> justice system, in 1976, in the long jump, she leaped 22 feet, one and three quarters inches. Well, isn't that a fun little bit of information to know? It is. I'm glad that came out of the fishbowl. 
And here, here's another. On Saturday, December 3rd, I'll be in Jacksonville, Florida at the WJCT Studios Florida Theater. So easy. It's so clean. It's so modern. It really is. And y- you know what, listeners? I don't have anything to plug this week. Paula did a great job for me and for her. And, you know, and after that really streamlined and stripped down oral <laughs> report, I feel like we've really zipped through another episode of Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. Remember to follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It's free. We love the reviews. I personally read them all on Apple Podcasts. So thank you for that, everybody. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to know about, tell us. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com is our handle, and that's our show. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula and yours truly, Adam Poundstone and Felber, respectively. Special thanks to our guest, Ben Sheehan. And to our mighty house band, Kristen Lejeune. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Julie Berkobian. Edited by Vic Lowry. Starburns production by Land Romo. Transcription services for the show provided by Transcribe Me, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. They're really great. That's our show for tonight. Excuse me. That's our show for tonight. (laughs) Won't somebody please listen to me? I feel like Bonnie was trying to review us even before the show was over. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of reviewing, I hope people write in uh, reviews on Apple Podcast Reviews specific to that Portugal report, which I think was fire. Uh, You think it was fire? Yeah, I do. I think it was fire. I'm telling you, ever since Tony did her sexy Christmas card photo shoot, she's... I had to turn that around on my wall because I have children. (laughs) She's been... I don't know. She's just been so free in her work, you know? Uh, Yeah. She's got a sense of confidence. It's It's not sexy! Hey, you're not in here. You're not in here, Tony. Yeah, Tony, Tony this, you're, not in, you're not in this part. You, you know, Paula, what I found is that when somebody just, like, actually takes charge and owns their own sexuality and <laughs> oh communicates God, it to the world, stop. it really changes how they how they present themselves. And it has nothing, yeah. nothing to do with sex. It has to do with a certain level of self-possession. Yeah, to me, she's Demi Moore and Ghost um, at, at the pottery wheel. Wow. She is. She's at the pottery wheel. I just, it's all. Christmas cards are her pottery wheel. Right. Yeah, it's something that doesn't seem like it should be seductive, but then you see her do it, and it's just ho, 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 if you know what I mean. (laughs) You know, there's a, uh, is it Kris Jenner? No. Yeah, is it the mother of the card? The mom. The mom is Kris Jenner. Okay, wait, Tony, you and, Tony and Buddy, you're not, <laughs> you're not in here. I'm Tony perfectly Buddy. capable of confirming Paula's thing you're that, yes, in, Chris in Jenner is the matriarch of the Kardashian clan. Yes. Yeah. And well, what about she, her? She does a commercial for those Shutterfly um, cards that you design yourself. And she says, you know, your family is unique and your cards need to be too. And I think that's what really drove Tony to this well you know we haven't seen it yet we haven't it's not christmas yet but um i'm just saying no. if you're tony's brother look out yeah to, uh tony went to um peekaboo christmas cards uh, <laughs> what which is yeah it's not shutterfly she went to a place called peekaboo 
Christmas cards and uh, oh, yeah, where there's those openable windows and various strategic yeah. places in the card. Yeah, wow. Open a new window. Open no. a new door. <laughs> <laughs> you're not here. You're not here. <laughs> yeah, Tony, you're not in this part. <laughs> you break so the you rule know. one more time. Wait, Bonnie. <laughs> you know. If, okay. if you break Here's the rule it. one more time, <laughs> no, you can okay, be in Portuguese wait, jail for 10 years, so you know, 15 years, was, 25 years, or 50. The Portuguese rolled <laughs> flour in the vegetables, right? But it was the Japanese that figured out how to take that dish and fry it. Bonnie, so, the fact that you researched a little more about your report after it ended and are now invading our coda is, is unacceptable. This is going to yeah. go on your permanent record. <laughs> Yeah, this is sort of like John Steinbeck adding a page later to Grapes of Wrath that just says, they're all dead now. Uh, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, what do you mean the Portuguese rolled it in flour and the Japanese figured out to, to cook it? What, don't don't ask her a question. She's not here, Paula. In Portugal, yeah. it was called the food of the people because all it needed was flour, eggs, and water. This okay, is but they didn't just roll bedlam. it in flour. That's Paula, ridiculous. she sucked you in. She shouldn't be <laughs> oh, here. Yeah, you're, you're not here, Bonnie. You're not here. I'm going to take that part yeah. out. But yeah. I saw yeah. this thing about that the Japanese <laughs> oh were the God. ones that figured out to fry it. And then I thought that was interesting, so I threw that. All right, our editor, Vic, yeah. could you please play the Starburns audio slug right now? <laughs> Starburns <laughs> Yeah. Starburns yeah. audio. You know what? It was sort of like Portugal where the people who ate the cookie dough raw and Japan yeah. was the place that figured out to put it in the oven and cook them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm leaving. I'm leaving this coda. <laughs> you and Bonnie enjoy yourselves, Paula. I'm leaving. Starburns audio. <laughs> Starburns audio. A podcast. <clears throat> A podcast network.